I don't have much voice. So, again, what we're going to do, this is part of that same conference called Hearing from God we did. That day I preached four hours, never lost my voice. Preached an hour on Sunday, never lost my voice. Only to be young. What we're going to do, I've watched this. It's great material. We're going to do 32 minutes that will cover Moses, the mediator of the Old Covenant. Then some other time, we'll do the rest about Jesus, mediator of the New Covenant. Eric, could you start us in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you that we have the opportunity to learn your word. We pray, Lord, that as we look at the mediators of the covenants, we would be reminded, Lord, that you sent prophets and apostles to speak on your behalf. And, Lord, that not everyone is speaking for God. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be discerning and understand who speaks for God, that we may know his word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of us who are here live just saw an excerpt from a DVD entitled, Be Still and Know That I Am God. The excerpt was from Beth Moore speaking about Moses' tent of meeting in the Old Testament. And she made the claim that God intended that all of the people of Israel could have gone into the tent of meeting and not just Moses. Now that's a claim that I'm going to disagree with. But she also makes this further claim, and let me quote, this is from the DVD. Beth Moore said this, Oh, this is my favorite part. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. That's part of contemplative prayer. When we sit back and realize that it's not just that we have something to say to God, it's that God has something he wants to say to us, and it doesn't say... We read it with a very human kind of mind. It says Moses spoke to God as his friend. That's not what it says. It says God spoke to Moses as his friend, someone that shared common interests with him. I want to be in that tent of meeting. I want to be in that place where the cloud pillar of God's glory falls, and I want to sit back and listen long enough that perhaps the God of all creation just might speak to me, unquote. Now, what we're going to do this morning is trace this idea of the tent of meeting through the Old Testament and through the New Testament and show that the tent of meeting was not for everybody. It was only for Moses because God had ordained that Moses would be the mediator of the Old Covenant and thereby we're going to show that Beth Moore's interpretation of this in which we can have our own personal tent of meeting to hear from God in the same way Moses did is a false claim, and I would say it's even a dangerous claim. Now, uh, I did this presentation a couple years ago over in St. Paul. In fact, I see a couple of you here that were there then. And after I did the presentation, I wrote an article for Christian Worldview Network uh, kind of summarizing the issue about the tense of meeting of personal words from God. And that article that they had ways for people to respond back uh, I got the most negative and virulent responses that I've ever got from anything. People were just livid and angry with me. 
because I suggested that Beth Morris claim that we could have our own personal tent of meeting, even though probably a figurative one, and have God speak to us in the manner that God spoke to Moses, I said, I dis disputed that claim and, and said that it was unbiblical. Well, these people were just livid with me. And I don't, I, don't, I don't understand why they were so angry. Can't we have a disagreement and look to the Scripture to see what the truth is? But evidently, this Beth Moore is so popular that she's got the status that she can't be disagreed with. But nobody has that status. And I'm not saying she's a bad person. I'm not saying everything that Beth Moore has ever taught is wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm only disputing this one point about the issue of the tent of meeting. And I'm going to suggest that she misinterpreted the Scripture and that it wasn't true that everybody could have gone in there with Moses and got their own words. In fact, we'll see that had they gone in there, they would have died. Okay? And that Joshua was actually left there to guard the tent to make sure nobody could go there because Moses was God's designated mediator of the Old Covenant. Okay, so the, the speaking face-to-face -face was a unique thing to Moses, not something everybody should do. But I want you to understand, I'm not here today to attack anybody's personality. I'm not here to attack anybody's motives. But I'm here to help us understand how God has spoken to us and how we can know what God has said. And I'm going to uh, make a claim, and I'm going to deal with that in, in several different uh, lectures today. My claim is this, that as far as authoritative binding revelation that's certainly from God, that is only found in Scripture. That's the only thing we know absolutely is God's Word that He spoke. Now, we have ideas in our mind uh, that may or may not be from God, but they are never certainly God's authoritative binding revelation. All right? In fact, ideas in our mind or dreams or visions or any sort of thing that might happen like that are part of God's providence. And providence contains good and evil, okay? And providence is everything that happens, including things that come into our mind. And so we're free to have ideas that we think, wow, that's a great idea. Maybe God put that in my mind. But we never know for certain. It's not binding revelation. In fact, one of my teachers at North Central Bible College, uh, Dr. Ray LeVang, called that a sanctified thought. That's as far as he would go. Because they taught me at, at North Central Bible College, there are no new revelations. But Dr. LeVang said, sometimes we have a sanctified thought, like a good sermon to preach or a, uh, some action to take. Those things we're free to act on, but we can't say, God talked to me like he did Moses, and I'm some sort of a mediator of divine revelation. That's the claim. I'm claiming that there's no more authoritative binding revelation coming to the church after the closing of the canon of Scripture. All right? And so now, today we're going to address several versions of this. We're going to, first of all, deal with this tenth of meeting issue from the Scripture. And then we're going to look at practices that I'm going to call divination that people use techniques in order to get revelations from God. And I'm going to dispute whether that's valid. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the New Apostolic Reformation. This New Apostolic Reformation claims that there are still authoritative apostles and prophets that speak for God today. And I'm going to dispute that. And then we're going to look at the emergent church in our fourth lecture. And in that one, I'm going to show how 
certain postmodern individuals really don't believe we can even know what the Bible means. So all revelation is sort of cloudy and uncertain as far as they're concerned. So then we really don't have a clear word from God in any regard. So let's start here with the tent of meeting with the caveat that I'm not claiming Beth Moore always teaches error. But I am, I am claiming that she is not correct in this claim that the tent of meeting is designed for everyone to get their own personal revelations. Let's go into the book of Deuteronomy. Book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 and 10. It says here, When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who uses divination, or one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer. Now, these are techniques that the pagans use seeking information from the spirit world. They're wanting to know information that they can't get by any ordinary means. And so divination is an attempt to gain secret information from the spirit world. And the reason that people throughout the centuries, and this is still true today, anytime you have a pagan society, you will always have divination. I went to a conference out in Escondido, California about neo-paganism, and it was a think tank, and we were talking about that. And the pagans will always practice divination because they have no certain word from God. They don't know what God has said through his ordained mediators of the covenant. And the old covenant, it was Moses. And so having no sure word from God and not even a sure understanding of who God is, pagans know that the spirit world is real. They know that we aren't just in some materialistic world with no spirits. And they believe that there are multiple gods, but they need information. They're afraid they might have bad fate. They want to manipulate the, the spirit world to protect themselves from damage. So they have charms, and they have magical practices, and they have incantations. And so the divination is a way to try to find information. And therefore, this is forbidden for the people of God. Why? Because they have a God who is known through his ordained means. They have a God who has spoken to the fathers and now to Moses. They have a God who's revealing himself through authoritative words, not mystical words mined out of the spirit realm by processes of divination. Now let's go to Deuteronomy 18, 11 through 13. It says, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord because of these detestable things. The Lord your God will drive them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. So these mediums, spiritists, uh, witches, uh, necromancers, they've been around. They're still around. Okay? The people are still doing this. And they don't do it because it doesn't work. They do it because they actually do get information, some of it accurate. And if you've ever heard the testimony of someone who was in the spirit, spiritism and, and saved out of it, 
they say that they got information and it was accurate, and that's why people would keep coming back to them. So, but this uh, information is not coming from God, it's coming from sources of spiritual evil. These spirit beings that have the information that promises to make us powerful or wealthy or to find out the secrets of the universe, they've been around for thousands and thousands of years. The spirit world is their realm, and they're good at what they do. And what they do is deceive humans. Okay? And so if you uh, or I purposely go into that realm in a way that God has not ordained, what is awaiting us is deception. Now let's define divination, because the next uh, session I'll be spending the whole time giving you examples of Christian divination, which, by the way, is an oxymoron, but Christians are indeed practicing and teaching divination. But today, this morning, we want to start by seeing what the Bible says about this whole matter. Uh, Eugene Merrill, an Old Testament scholar, says the phrase practicers of divination refers generally to the whole complex of means of gaining insight from the gods, regardless of any particular technique. Now, that's important, and that's a correct definition as I've studied this. The possible means of divination are so many that you could never define them all because somebody could dream up another one. They did many different things. They used to cut open an animal and examine its liver, and the pattern of the liver, liver would tell them information from the gods. They'd take a bunch of arrows and throw them in the air, and the way they fall and stick in the ground would tell them where to go in the battle. That was a means of divination. Uh, there are unending numbers of possible ways of divination. So basically, you need to know this. It's an attempt to use some means or technique to gain secret or unrevealed information from the spirit world. Okay? And it's forbidden for Christians. It's forbidden for the people of God. Now, back to Deuteronomy 18. It's a very, very important section of Scripture that everybody should well know. It says in Deuteronomy 18, 14, For those nations which you shall dispossess, listen to those who practice witchcraft and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. Now, what's God going to do? The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, that is, like Moses, from among you and from from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. Now, before this lecture is done, Everybody here is going to know who that is, all right? You're probably already thinking ahead, aren't you? But uh, we want to know who is the prophet like Moses that would come and have binding and authoritative revelation beyond even what Moses received from God. We're going to look at that later. Deuteronomy 18, let's continue. Verse 16, this is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see his great fire anymore, lest I die. Now look at this last phrase. And the Lord said to me, They have spoken well. Get that point firmly in your heart and mind. Because this is going to refute the claim that Beth Moore made on the DVD. By the way, on that DVD, an interesting thing, I told you all those people that were just livid because I wrote a 
article just contesting that whether that was a correct interpretation. Well, the, and so uh, Brandon House from the Christian Worldview Network asked me to, to write something. He said, "You got." He said, "I'm glad you get all this feedback, but you were write something. They're really mad at you." So I got the uh, transcripts of the entire "Be Still" DVD. I got the in- transcripts of the entire DVD. Okay. And I thought, okay, it says, be still and know that I am God. So the DVD is being sold at Walmart under the claim that it's going to show you how to know God. So I, having got the transcripts in Word document, I was able to search them. So I searched for blood, atonement, cross, gospel, repentance. Almost all absent, nothing there. Okay, so the gospel was nowhere on the DVD. The terms of the gospel are nowhere on the DVD. So I wrote a follow-up article, and you can still read these. They're on, uh, there's a link on our site that will take you to my articles on the Christian Worldview Network. But anyhow, I wrote a follow-up article proving that the entire Be Still and Know That I Am God DVD has no gospel. So how can you know God without the gospel? Amen. It's not delivering what it claims to say, that you're going to know God. You don't need the gospel to know God. So I wrote that article, and the... Nobody had anything to say. They, they couldn't refute it. All those people that were livid and angry with me after I proved that there was no gospel on the entire DVD that, that claims it's going to tell us how to know God, they went silent. Because what are they going to argue? That you can know God without the gospel? Beloved, we're being sold a bill of goods. All right, you go down to your local Kmart, plunk down $15 or whatever it is, and you get a DVD that tells you how to know God and you listen to the whole thing, and all you learn is how to get revelations and personal words from God, but you don't know how to know God. And the whole thing's predicated on a, mis- tra- or a misinterpretation of the Scripture. When it says, be still and know that I am God, it means quit running around to places you're not supposed to go and start trusting God. Okay? That's, that's all it means. It doesn't mean get your own personal revelations, and that becomes the Word of God to you. That's not how it works. Notice it says they have spoken well. God was pleased only to speak through Moses as the mediator of the Old Covenant and not have everybody get their own personal revelations from God. Look at verses 18 and 19. Here's what it says. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So God is going to raise up an authoritative prophet who is going to speak authoritatively for God, and everybody is going to have to listen to that authoritative prophet. His words are going to be binding, and anyone refusing to listen to those words shall be coming under God's judgment. God does not bind us to the voices of the spirits. God doesn't take his people and send them out into this dangerous world of spirits and say, work on learning how to hear what these things are saying. And that's where you'll find me. No, God speaks to his people objectively. He spoke to Moses face to face objectively. And so that they knew that the words that Moses wrote, the Pentateuch, were directly from God. They were inerrant, authoritative, and binding. They don't have to fish around in the spirit world trying to get words from God. And, and dear ones, people say, well, you're taking something away from me. Well, what, are, what, are you, what is it that you're going to lose? 
you're going to lose words from the spirit world that may or may not be from God. Even the people that are really into this, when I've had conversations with them, uh, I try to pin them into the corner and say, do you know that these thoughts coming into your mind are certainly God, they're inerrant and authoritative? And they say, well, no, I don't, I'm not saying that. Well, then, then God doesn't bind us to error. God doesn't bind us to uncertainty. He only binds us to what God has actually said that we know is from God. Now, let's look at John uh, 12, 48. It's, it's about time I tell you who this prophet is, okay? I know you've been waiting to hear. It, it turns out that the prophet, like Moses, who's going to speak for God, is Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Moses mediated the old covenant, Jesus the new. John 12, 48. Here's Jesus' claim. He who rejects me does not receive my, and, and does not receive my sayings as one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. See, God only judges us based on our willingness to listen to his binding word and to believe it and to do it. All right? So Jesus is claiming that his words have that quality. The very words of Jesus are authoritative and binding. And if, if somebody says, well, I don't want to listen to that. I don't believe what he's saying. I have some other way. Then in the last day at the judgment, the Lord will require that because they refuse to listen to God's ordained mediator. So now we know who the other prophet is who God would raise up and who was going to speak for God. And that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came in the flesh he came in the flesh. In other words, they, when he wasn't just a spirit. They didn't get revelations from spirits. And John said in 1 John 1 that we, taught, we heard him, we touched him. He was tangible, the real Jesus come in the flesh, who spoke words that they heard with their real ears. And they, and they knew what he said. And, and God uh, ordained that these apostles that, that he appeared to, including Paul as one born out of time, would be the ones who would write down the, the completed New Testament that would be the binding authoritative words of Jesus Christ. Even if the apostles do it, and I'll show you this in Hebrews, it's still the words of Jesus. He is the mediator of the new covenant. Now let's go back to Deuteronomy 18. It says here, But the prophet who shall speak a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he shall speak in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. So it wasn't a good idea under the old covenant to volunteer for the office of prophet. All right? It could be a short lifespan. And as you can see, the actual, the actual true prophets were often reluctant, like uh, Jeremiah and, and some of the, if you look at the call narratives in the prophets, but they were the true prophets and they, God spoke to them and through them. But you didn't want to just come out and start talking say, well, I'm talking for God now. But it's interesting that in our day and age, people are willing to do that continually, and they seem to have no fear of God about it. So we'll talk about that this afternoon. Deuteronomy 18, 21 and 22, And you may say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. How many of you know God cannot lie? Yeah, right? And so God doesn't lie. God doesn't speak here. And somebody says, in the name of God, thus and so, and the other thing, and it's wrong, 
They, they should not be speaking. They're profaning the name of the Lord by using his name in their speaking. That's, that's to profane God's name. Because God doesn't speak error, doesn't speak lies. He only speaks truth. So the, Lord, the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Notice, you shall not be afraid of him. Boy, you, uh, we'll see this this afternoon when we talk about the new apostolic reformation. The only thing these modern-day apostles and prophets have to peddle is fear. And the way they keep control over their followers is through fear. Because the people that believe them think that if they don't listen to those people, God's going to be angry with them. And they're afraid of coming under a curse or coming under the wrath of God. So that's how they sell fear. And we'll see that, and I'll, I'll show you that from some citations. But it says here, you don't have to be afraid. I have been cursed more times than I can remember. I've been cursed by prophets. I've been told that I'm going to die. I was told once that I was going to die within seven months. And uh, thankfully, that was back in 89, so I'm still kicking around here. I said, okay, we'll wait. And, you know, if I do die, the worst thing that happens, I'm going to go be with the Lord. But the Lord kept me here. I'm not afraid. The reason I'm not afraid is I know they don't speak for God. And they can't, they can't do what they claim to do. Now, there's another test. There's another test for prophets. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3. If a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, look at, and the sign or wonder comes true. Now you might think, wow, now we've got a test. Now we know this is the guy to listen to. Don't, don't, get, don't jump the gun. Keep reading. And the sign of wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods whom you not known. Let us serve them. I'll, I'll point out this afternoon. There was a man named William Branham who gave true words that came true consistently, and people in the prophetic movement think he's the best prophet that's ever lived in in the latter days. But he told us to go after other gods we haven't known. He, he, He taught us to go after a god who's not Trinitarian, a modalist god. And so we know he was false, even though he did true signs and wonders, valid ones that happened, because... He taught us to go after a God we haven't known. So he failed that test. Okay, there's a doctrinal test, not just a, did it come true. Uh, you shall not listen. Don't listen. We, we have marching orders here. False teachers, don't listen to them. Why? Because they will harm you. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul. You see, if you love the Lord, you won't listen to these guys. But there's a lot of people that don't love the Lord. They're, they're more in love with an experience, or they're more in love with a hopeful outcome that maybe this is the key. Maybe I'll never be sick again, or maybe I'll, I'll buy the right stocks and get wealthy, or maybe some good outcome will happen. But they, they love the possibility of the good outcome that the prophets are offering more than they love the Lord. So a prophet may arise and do, in fact, the ultimate false prophet, the one that comes during the tribulation, will do signs and wonders that actually happen. But it'll lead people away from God. Now, here's a a bunch of passages, and I'm not going to read all of these. You can take note of them, but I, I need to save some time. But these passages show that, well, let me just do the first two anyhow. Uh, Deuteronomy 5, 30, 31. Go say to them, return to your tents. 
Beth Moore misinterpreted this when, he's, when, when she claimed that everybody could have gone into the tent of meeting with Moses and spoke to God face to face. It's not true. Return to your tents. 531. But as for you, Moses, stand here by me that I may speak to you all the commandments and statutes and judgments which you shall teach them that they may observe them in the land I will possess. God spoke to Moses. Moses spoke to the people. Remember in Deuteronomy 18 when they said, Moses, you speak to, to, to God because we don't want to die. What did God say? They spoke well. God approved of that. That's his plan that he'd speak through the one mediator. All right? Now, we have some cases later where people challenge this, but if you look at Exodus 19, 21 to 23, Exodus 20, uh, 19 to 21, Deuteronomy 34, 10. Um, uh, let me just read that one. It's just one verse, 34, 10. Since then no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses was the mediator of the old covenant, and God spoke to him, and that's what the tent of meeting was for. Now let's look at Exodus 33, 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And it came about that everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, not into it, which was outside the camp, to verse 8. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, not in Moses's, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Verse 9 and 10. And it came about whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship at the entrance of his tent. I'm just doing this to correct that statement that was made on that DVD. Verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now notice this. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Now I looked up in numerous sources, uh, Kyle and Delish and other Bible scholars uh, of the Old Testament, and they say that Joshua's role was to guard the tent to make sure nobody went into it. Okay, Joshua was the guard of the tent. So the claim that everyone could go into the tent of meeting and get their own unmediated revelations from God is patently unbiblical according to the Old Testament. Okay, so uh, I, I'm not saying Beth Moore hasn't taught some good Bible teachings. I I'm not, haven't really followed her, but she's definitely wrong on this particular point. Now let's go to... Uh, just some summary of what happens. Now, we don't have to guess about what would happen if people decided to go in there and get their own revelation from God. In one incident, Miriam and Aaron decide that it wasn't right that Moses was speaking for God. And what happened, this is in Numbers 12, 1 through 10, Miriam was called to the, to the tent of meeting and she got leprosy as a, as a rebuke for her thinking she could... Uh, supplant Moses' role as the mediator of the covenant. In Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, Nadab and Abihu decided they could do things their way. You know, Moses, the mediator, had told them how to do the sacrifices, and it had to be according to the specification that Moses received directly from God. So these guys said, ah, let's do it our own way. So they, so they offered strange fire. What happened to them? They didn't do that twice. Okay. 
Numbers 16, and it's 1 through 33. And you probably know about this, but remember Korah's rebellion? Korah and some others decided, why should Moses be the one that God speaks to? Why should Moses be the mediator? We're going to supplant his role, and it's going to be us who mediates the covenant to the people. And what happened to them? The earth opened up and swallowed them directly into Sheol. That's it, right? Just like that. Now, after a while, they got the idea that maybe we better just listen to Moses. <laughs> okay, this, this idea of supplanting Moses' role is just not panning out for anybody. We're going to stick with Moses and listen to him. But then they did rebel against Moses, and then you know what happened? They died in the wilderness. So when God speaks, he speaks through his ordained spokespersons. And the words that God speaks through his ordained spokespersons are words that are inerrant, authoritative, binding. All other words are uncertain and don't have the quality of those sort of words that we have in the Scripture. Now it says in John 1, 14, We'll do the other half another time, or best case scenario, we don't, because my voice comes back. I wish I had that voice. But God's providence comforts me. I know that God is in charge. I believe that in his providence, I was able to do that then. We had great people some of you still here, who captured that, edited it, made it available. And so I thank God that we just did it. I don't know how we did it, but we did it. So today we'll have a discussion on that issue. And I've made again a few discussion questions. I've asked Gary to be you know, very bold in this because I only have so much voice. This is more than I had yesterday. Now, let me say something pertinent to this and I'll, and then anybody can discuss. In God's providence, I had watched this. I had taken my own notes again, thought about discussion questions, watching the news about the flood. And here on Fox News, comes an interview with Beth Moore. Okay. And I thought, well, I got to see that because I'm doing this DVD where we disagreed with her and everybody thought I was wicked and evil because I disagreed with Beth Moore. Here she comes on. She's so nice, so winsome, so kind, so positive. Just and then she says, "Yeah, we we knew we're here. She's from that area, and God is helping us, and we're praying." Okay, I thought, okay, nothing wrong with that. And here I am doing a DVD, a DVD showing that she's a false teacher. Here's what I want to say. Here's what I learned. Every time we practice discernment based on appearance and subjective things, we end up deceived. How could anybody believe that Beth Moore is sinister? 
Have you ever seen her? That's why all those people flooded Brandon House with negative attacks against him publishing my article. Horrible, horrible, horrible. What kind of a wicked guy is this Bob Duway? Beth Moore? So then, I, like I said in the DVD, I remember that. Somebody sent me a transcript. No gospel, no blood, no repentance, no cross, and we're going to know God. So I put that out there. They all went silent. Because they didn't dare say, oh, we don't need the blood. So all these people are deceived because their discernment is based on Beth Moore's appearance. Well, the devil's not going to send Dennis Rodman. (laughs) I'm not saying he's from God, you know. But people go, oh, yeah, go go away. Because he goes overboard to have a bad appearance. Beth Moore? But you saw this. So, Eric... Um, I have some points here. Point one was, should we listen to a very kind, winsome, believable, attractive person, whatever you'll say, who doesn't seem sinister? What do you have to say? Not necessarily. (laughs) Um, In fact, let me give an example from our own experience, Bob. Bob DeWay went to seminary at Bethel in the 90s. I also followed him in the 2000s after being an airline pilot. And the provost of the seminary that wrecked the entire seminary was the most kind and winsome man you've ever seen. And yet the theologians he would invite in to teach systematic theology were rabid heretics. Just one example, Ron Schultz uh, was an avowed atheist. He came out to be an atheist six months after I had complained to the provost. So they had an avowed atheist teaching their systematic theology. Now, again, Eliason was the most kind and winsome looking man you'd ever seen. And so Bob is exactly right. We can never judge, so to speak, the book by the cover. We have to look at the content of what is being said. And that's why it's so refreshing that we have the scriptures once and for all handed down to the saints. Remember, that's what we're to contend for. Jude 3, we're not asked to contend for the faith that's constantly morphing or the faith that's constantly changing. And it would be if everyone spoke for God. But we're asked to contend for the faith once for all, hotpox, once and never again, handed down to the saints. Uh, while we're doing this, I want to get people yeah. to comment. But somebody, anybody can do this. Look up Isaiah 53 and find the passage that discusses the attractiveness of Messiah. Right. Somebody find that. I just thought of that. There's nothing attractive about him. Jesus Christ is the apostle and prophet. God incarnate. Okay, go ahead. Yes, Isaiah 53, 1 through 2. Who has believed and heard from us? And to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So it was the content, not the outward appearance. Exactly. So people will listen to Beth Moore, but they won't listen to Jesus Christ. Amazing. 
There's a young gentleman on TV now. His first name is Tyler, and he is a person that contacts the dead. He's a very nice-looking, very sweet personality young man, very winsome, and yet this is what he does. Exactly. There's a lady over there you might know yeah. that wants to talk. Yeah, <laughs> for, for a few years, yeah. Um, I've, I think a lot of the women in here um, who go to our church are very discerning, and um, a lot of us notice that women especially are be, really being targeted by these false teachers. I mean, I could name a bunch of them. You know, Beth Moore is one, Priscilla Shire, Christine Kane, I can go on and on, Liza Turkhurst. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I think um, I had heard somewhere where um, Beth Moore does have a husband, but the, their husbands really are kind of out of the picture. It's like the the, the women have usurped the the um, role of spiritual leader, and you know you kind of wonder where where are the men in this situation that are maybe correcting their wives and. Um, but women are really, really being targeted by false teachers, and it's very, very bad. Well, I wrote an art, another article, not, you know, sometime after this, where uh, there was a, her name has slipped me, a Canadian farmer's wife. She went skipping through the bean field under a full moon, and found God. Then she went out to, to went to France to a Catholic cathedral. Who's that lady? And and Voskamp. Voskamp. I rebuked her, just based on what she said in her book. All these people are so angry at me. Who are you? She's reformed. Well, we're going to talk about this. I have a newspaper. I'm going to give it to somebody here to do their own. I want to get everybody involved in doing discernment because I know you're equipped to do it. October marks 500 years of the Reformation. And so they had an article in the paper about what people believe now, including talking to Lutherans. They don't know anything. They don't know Scripture alone. Well, I think faith, they don't know what's going on. So this Voskamp goes to some cathedral, Catholic cathedral, and, oh, it's so great, it's so God. It says she's reformed. She's rejected the Reformation. No scripture alone. No faith alone. No grace alone. No Christ alone. My feelings and imagination are all I need. Dream a dream. Okay? So that's pagan. So I call people pagan who are actually pagan, and the evangelical church curses me. They flood the websites, like I said, Worldview Network. Who's this evil guy disagreeing with Beth Moore? Okay, do you all believe in a blood atonement? Well, yeah, but... Well, so Beth Moore doesn't need it. What about Rick Warren? Oh, he's so nice. He's everybody's friend. He's a kind person. Wants to help everybody. So I write against him. Again, I'm hated. 
And so finally, do we not even care? Is there any gospel? Can anybody ever be saved through human wisdom, emotions, good looks, success, big buildings, big organization, lots of money, everything Americans love, Joel Osteen, well, now he's in trouble. He didn't get his church open soon enough. Yes, Gail. I would really recommend that article you wrote in Critical Issues Commentary on Ann Boskamp, if nothing more from when Bob tries to imitate her style of writing. Really a good article. I'm not very good at it. <laughs> oh, I thought you did a great parody of her writing. Yeah. It's, it's a great article. I would really recommend it. Well, thank you, Gail. CICministry.org. I have found in my experience also that because people are so biblically starved in our society today, that they are more comfortable in the here and now and abiding in somebody that is in front of them speaking to them as opposed to what I run into being a 2,000-year-old book that I put my life on, if you will. Amen. Good point, Nancy. Along that line, uh, that the Bible is not complete and it's still being added to, I was out for a walk the other day by a local church in our neighborhood. I got a big sign out in front that says, God is still speaking. Now, this is the United Church of Christ. And uh, to back up their quote, they quote from a uh, uh, <clears throat> person that used to be kind of famous. You heard of George Burns and Gracie Allen? They're comedians. And they quote from Gracie Allen, and she says, Never place a period where God has placed a comma. So they got a big comma on that. So that's how they, they're kind of proof for it. God is still speaking. Yeah. What an attack on the gospel. You know, Bob, I, I say here, just keep going here, and I'll go to Eric. All pagan societies have divination. You can always have a new idea how to practice it. I mentioned shooting the arrows, examining the liver. Every society has some tarot cards. Uh, this divination. Go ahead, Eric, and then we'll go over to Lonnie. Yeah, Bob, well said. You know, one thing that you pointed out is the first slide in your message. It's Beth's Moore, her DVD. It says, Be Still. Does everyone see that in your handout? Oh, yeah, let's talk about that. Well, that's a category error right there, and where yeah. she's getting that from is Psalm 4610. So if you turn your Bibles to Psalm 4610, here's the claim. The claim is by Beth Moore and others that what Psalm 4610 is calling us to do is to still our minds and so that we can receive information from the spirit world. That's what they're really claiming. But what's interesting is that is not what Psalm 4610 is claiming. What Psalm 4610 is claiming is to be still in the sense of stop striving. In fact, that's the translation I would render from the Hebrew, stop striving. And why? Well, notice the verse prior to Psalm 4610. It's talking about what Yahweh does on behalf of his people. It says, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. 
So the idea then is that the Israelites kept trying to say the battle's ours. We're going to keep striving, keep working. The issue here is stop striving, quit fighting the battle yourself, trust in Yahweh, he'll win. So this is a passage that teaches us really to go from works to grace. So Beth Moore and other false teachers, the equivocate. What is equivocation? It's where you take a term and you change the meaning. So here, be still doesn't mean to still your mind so that you can come up with extra biblical revelation. But what it says is stop striving and trust in God alone and what he will do. So, for example, you see another one of these in 1 Kings 19. Remember, you have the small voice that comes to Elijah. Well, the Hebrew is very debatable there. In fact, I would render it, it's a voice that makes one feel small. It was a crushing sound because the last time that was heard was at the same location on Mount Sinai by Moses. And so the small, still voice, or the sometimes are rendered as whispered, it's actually a crushing sound that Elijah heard on the mountain. And what's more, notice it's objective revelation, and it's given to a prophet. Elijah was a prophet. Are you and I prophets and apostles? No. So these are things that the false teachers latch onto, and they try to use them to distort how we actually have revelation. Eric, I was looking at this the other day. Doesn't Isaiah or one of the prophets rebuke the demons that mutter and peep? Yes, yes. Is that right? Yeah, amen. Yeah, you're right. Mutter and peep. See, God gives the Ten Commandments clear. Moses, on face to face, God writes on stone, clear, understandable, in the people's vernacular, by the way. Reformation idea. That's under attack. From the right, you can't use any Bible but the King James. Have you ever seen anybody out here talking King James? It's the evangelical version of the Catholics' Latin. You're attacking the gospel by attacking people having a Bible in their own vernacular. And I'm glad that I've written against that. Don't listen. These people peddle fear. Your Bible, you can't trust it. The Catholics say, don't trust Luther. We got a Latin Bible. The fearmongers say, don't read your New King James. Read the one you can't understand. Why? So you can't understand your Bible. If you do that, repent. Yes. I wanted to say something, and then we've got another person with a comment, too. But, you know, these these are fake prophets. And I'm going to say something that might not be very kind, but we've got too many fake churches. The church is to... Is to uh, the, the role of the church, the bride of Christ, is to evangelize, you know, spread the gospel, and to teach, to disciple the, the flock, and then fellowship. And instead, people are going for fake, experiential, mystical experience because the churches are not doing what they should be doing, in my opinion. Go ahead, LaVon. Um, I was just going to say, like, um, Joseph Smith and uh, Muhammad. They've got their false revelations from this spirit angel that talked to them. And now the Roman Catholics have this spirit Mary who, you know, appears to them and she gives them a false gospel telling them that they should follow her to get to heaven rather than Christ. Um, and, and 
am I right if I would tell Roman Catholics that praying to Mary or the dead saints is a form of divination? At least in my mind it sure is. It is, Levon. And when I preach the Ten Commandments, we have a DVD of that. The first one about a warning about no other gods, when I preached about that, I talked about idols that speak. Idols that speak. Mary has become, for many, an idol that speaks. Apparitions speak. So you got your little statue of Mary dead. So that's an idol that just sits there. But when that starts speaking to you, now you're getting ready for Antichrist. In the Daniel's 70th week, an idol speaks. If we don't listen to the God who has spoken, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, John 1, 1 through 14, 1 John 1, 1 through 3, if we don't listen to him, we'll hear an idol that speaks. That's bad. Yes. Bob? Yes. Um, I'm just going to give you my, you know, history. Um, not that uh, <laughs> go into a lot of detail, but I had lost my faith for almost 20 years. And so as I came back and, and I started to realize that one of two things will happen. Either the Bible is inerrant or it's not. And it's, it's pretty simple in my mind at that particular point in time. And if these people, which, and it always amazed me because I, I got to the, to the belief that um, I was looking for a church that taught inerrancy. Whether I liked it or not, it, it taught inerrancy of Scripture. And way back then, I think this was in 1984, way back then uh, it ended up where there were lots of churches that they said that we teach inerrancy, we teach the Bible. And it seems like there's just a, uh, just a, the floodgates are open now that they completely go off in a different direction when they used to be churches that taught inerrancy of Scripture. And uh, I just, you know, just from a historical standpoint, as you're you're talking about that, um, you know, uh, pastors and ministers that would teach inerrancy now are completely the other way. And it just amazes me that either it is an errant or it's not. Amen. And uh, so we, that's how I, we I came need, to know the Lord. We need to teach it. We're to, we prove that it's a true doctrine. We do apologetics. We, the Bible is true. Nothing else has the same quality. One more, and then we got to mention we need to pray for our country. Go ahead. So, Bob, really what you're saying, and this kind of alludes to what Tom mentioned and Norm earlier, the reason today we can supplant uh, commas for periods is the lack of scholarship, biblical teaching. Yes. We need to get back to it. Interestingly, I, in a DVD I cited one of my teachers and an Assemblies of God Bible College, Dr. A. LeVay. They said over and over, there are no, no new revelations. Why? Because that William Branham, who I mentioned, had destroyed, tried to destroy their whole movement. They lost a third of their churches. And so they went to scholarship and said, no new revelations. 
But then they went the other way too. Thank God I was there when I was. Now, I'm going to have Eric start this. Thankfully, our president has declared today to be a national day of prayer. Hasn't been done for a long, long time. Today is a national day of prayer. We have the horror of what happened to so many people in Houston, Texas. Almost all of us know somebody from there or know somebody that does. Now we have, today we heard North Korea now has an H-bomb, way, way more powerful. It may lead to a war sooner rather than later because they could blow up anything they want to. It's a horrible situation. So we want to be thankful that we have a country where a president can declare a national day of prayer and it behooves us to do it because we're told to pray for our leaders in the Bible. So, Eric, do you want to lead that? Yeah, you know, I'll just start out. And, uh, Eric, if you want to just find some others that want to pray, and we'll close out with prayer. I'll just open us up, and then I'll close us out. So I'll just pray for a few, a couple minutes, and then uh, everyone else can chime in as you feel that. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you that you've called us out of this world through faith in your Son. And we do praise you, God, for being a holy and righteous God that's set apart, yet you're with us. And uh, we do thank you for government that... Um, You've given us government to restrain evil. And we do pray, Heavenly Father, for wisdom for those in our defense department and uh, those who are in our government, Lord, that you would help them restrain evil and also to help protect human lives, Lord. We do pray for those in Texas. We pray that your hand would be upon them, that you would even use these natural disasters to bring people to faith in Christ. And so we lift up our times to you, Lord. We know our time is short. We pray, Lord, that you would keep eternity out upon our heart and that we would continuously lift up our fellow countrymen so that they would repent and be saved. Father, thank you for this time that we can look into your word. Pray, Father, that you would instill in our hearts what you want us to know from your word, that, we, that you, Lord, would uh, grow inside of us your, your word and, and the challenges that you put inside in in your word for us. Thank you for that. Lord, I also pray for our world and our things around us that you, Lord, would be, um, of course, you're in charge, we know that, but, but Lord, that you would instill in us to do our part for whatever it is that you would want us to do. Thank you, Father, for our families, for each of us that are desiring to serve you. I pray for your wisdom, Father, that you would Help us serve you. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you so much for for coming to to call us to hear the truth of your word. And I just want to thank you for for helping my son and his family down in Houston. And you just put um, a guard around their home, and they were able to go out and volunteer. And thank you, too, for protecting my son's plant 
And I know this is probably selfish as being a mom, but this was very, very difficult to see them go through this. And, um, but Father, we just, we just thank you for hearing and answering prayer. You are so great. You are so magnificent, God. And I just thank you from the bottom of my heart for protecting us and for, an- for, for answering prayer for them and continuing to helping all the people down there. And my son said it's just so sad to see people throwing things out of their house. And the streets are just loaded with just, just stuff that's not being able to be used anymore. And I just, I, just, I just pray, God, that you would just, as you did, take that out and just take it away and, and give the insurance companies and everybody all the things that are necessary to expedite this this situation, Father, because we know sometimes those things go very slow. And thank you so much for our president, God. You put him in office, and we just thank you, Father, so much. He's gone through so much, but you've given him strength. And, oh, God, just thank you. Thank you so much, and and thank you that we do have United States, and we still, as Bob said, we're still able to ask for a day of prayer, and we just pray today that we will take that time to, to to just thank you thank you that you're in charge and that you are sovereign over all things, God, and and just thank you. And I thank you, Father, now. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do um, thank you that you answer prayer. We thank you that we can come before you in your throne of grace and you give us timely help in our time of need. We lift these prayers to you, Lord. We pray, again, you give wisdom to our leadership and guide them, Heavenly Father. We pray for our nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.